0: Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 987.
1: Driving is sheer poetry.
0: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello automotive enthusiasts! I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Luis Martinez. Luis, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
1: I am ready to party.
0: Alright. Luis Martinez was born and raised in Cuba. His passion for sports cars and racing was launched when his father took him to watch the Havana Grand Prix in 1960. Inspired by watching Sir Sterling Moss take the checkered flag piloting that white birdcage Maserati, oh, I'm jealous you got to see that, he recalled that day and in 1998 wrote his first motorsports article. He has since authored two career development books, Getting There and Getting There Volume 2, plus many business and motorsports articles for Gannett, Motorsports Marketing Resources, Victory Lane Magazine, and many others. He holds a B.A. in Psychology and a Master's in Counseling, and he's a certified track instructor at the level of mentor instructor. So, Lewis, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about your career and a very obvious passion for automobiles?
1: Yes, thank you, Mark, for inviting me to be a guest on your show. And I look forward to learning from you about how to do this for reasons that I'll tell you later on for my 501c3 I did retire from Xerox a number of years ago, and I continued to work as a consultant on my own in management consulting, so that's sort of in the last few years. But as early as back in the 1970s, 40 years ago, I bought my first sports car, which was a Fiat 124 Spider, and I have had a sports car, of one kind or another, my entire adult life. And now, 40 years later, I'm still driving, I just bought a, a Porsche Racer in 99.6, and I've always been able to figure out a way to include my sports car racing and my sense of what a sports car can do besides my daily driver. Even when I was having a family and children and all that, I always found a way.
0: I love this story, and it's a nice lesson for our listeners out there that maybe don't work in the field of automotive, but that's their passion. That There's a way to incorporate this into your life. There's lots of different ways. One of them, which is a great way that you're involved in, is track days, going driving on tracks with your streetcar, having an instructor help you learn how to drive better, drive safer, drive faster, that kind of thing. And I mentioned in the introduction there that you do some track test days with people or you help people drive faster. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: I started on my own back in Pocono Raceway in Pennsylvania in the early 90s. With that time, I had a Porsche 911 SC. And that was my first time at a fourth gear track, meaning I was outside of autocrossing. I was so excited that I couldn't wait to do it again. And over the years, I became an instructor. And there's a story in that in itself, I became an instructor in only 21 track days. And I can spell that out, but that's very, very fast. And it's because I wanted so desperately to be an instructor and to race. And although I haven't been competitively racing as much as I could have, I do instruct even to this day. Today, I'm an instructor of instructors. So when we need to backfill some slots. People retire. They move away and so forth. Mm-hmm. I help identify and bring up to speed, so to speak, instructors. And that's why I'm called a mentor instructor because that's the that's the role that I play now.
0: You know, this is really cool. I, want, I have another quick question for you before I get into my main question is uh, you're into psychology and counseling and all that. How much yes. of that is played into your time sitting in that right seat when somebody next to you needs some extra either encouragement or maybe, hey, slow down, you're driving over your head?
1: Exactly. And I'm glad you brought it up because frankly, what I say is if I'm not inside that driver's head, we're not going anywhere. I have to sense... That I can communicate both verbally and even unconsciously with that driver because they're about to do something that I may not like or they, that may be a danger to both of us. Right. So I have to be inside their head and I use psychology a lot, just sensing everything from their mood to their breathing. I can hear them breathing. Mm. I can tell what they're looking at just from the sense of uh, where they direct the car. Yeah. If I can't anticipate what they're going to do, we're both in trouble.
0: Yeah. You know, this is very fascinating to me because I raced vintage cars for 12 years, but I go all the way back to when I first thought about driving my car fast and I went to a BMW track day with the BMW club. I had an M3 and E36 at the time right. and we spent the whole day driving and everybody behaved themselves. And at the end of the day, the instructors took us out. And lo and behold, the guy whose car I drove in, he flipped it on the track. Oh, the instructor. Oh, yeah. It was like, it was a no. really interesting start. To my driving career, but I learned a lot from it. And to his benefit, afterwards, he said, I'll tell you exactly what I did wrong. Right. Uh, and we talked about that. We walked through it. Neither of us were hurt. He had a roll bar in his car and we had uh, four-point harnesses, so we were okay. But that was an interesting dinner story when I got home to tell my wife about what happened. So, well, as we continue on your journey, Luis... I would love to ask you for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that has a great meaning for you, and it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Luis, take the wheel.
1: Well, in this process of thinking about going through life and and what is successful and what you want to achieve, I have a saying, which is, think like an immigrant. I am an immigrant, and I witness how my parents, when they sent me to the United States, And then later they followed and caught up with me, so to speak, and Mm -hmm. and how they had to start over. They had nothing, no money, no, not even decent clothing for a winter in New Jersey. And I saw how my parents were able to overcome obstacles and get through things, get things done, including in learning English. I was able to take a lesson from that and take a page from their playbook, so to speak. We're not alone. I mean, there are millions of immigrants in the United States who have done the same thing. And you see the businesses that they build and they see oh, yeah. how, they, how they achieve the American dream. So my first sentiment is to say, think like an immigrant in terms of overcoming obstacles. The other things we've done is we've burned our ships behind us. We're not going back to Cuba. Mm-hmm. And so we got to make it work. Whatever we're doing here, it has to work. We have to push forward. We have to forge ahead, overcome obstacles, go through them, around them, over them. We don't want to be victims is what we don't want to do. Yes. And so I avoid being anyone's victim. I figure out a way around it, through them, over it, or just in a different direction. But we will not be anybody's victim. So it sounds very serious and very yeah. you know, dramatic, but in fact, it works. And that's my first sentiment. My second one is it's certainly becoming more and more the part of my life now, which is Zig Ziglar's famous quote, you will get what you want in life if you help others achieve what they want mm, in life. Yes. And that was that what I'm putting to work as often as possible right now with friends and family. It's what I do now because I'm retired, you know, I'm no longer pursuing a career per se. I'm just pursuing my my passions mm-hmm. including driving and writing about the driving that I do. And I now have in, in this chapter in my life, I have the op- more opportunity than ever to follow that quote from from Ziegler, to help others achieve what they want. You know,
0: I've got goosebumps, I have to tell you, with listening to this, because it is such an inspirational story. Come to a country with nothing and build a life from that. Embrace what you can have by working very, very hard. And the fact that you added to that, don't think like an immigrant, a victim, that goes for anybody. Even if you were born in this country, don't think like that because you will be that. Right. Th- think otherwise. But I love the Zig Ziglar addition to that give back because it is when we give that we get so much more. And and people that figure out that secret and you figure that out in life because you became a psychologist, a counselor, you help people. I love everything about it. It's a wonderful way to go through life. And you are a great inspiration. I'm so glad that you found this country, your parents found this country, and that you came here. Let's go back in time a little bit and talk about a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were a car guy?
1: Yeah, and I think it was due to my father being a car guy. My father, who was an accountant, you wouldn't believe that an accountant would be kind of a sports car on that, but he was (laughs) an accountant in Cuba, and he liked – now, you know, we're talking about 60 years ago. He liked tinkering with cars, actually – he used to work on the truck of the lumber company where they where he used to be an accountant. That's he used to kind of maintain that truck and change the brakes and everything. Mm-hmm. So and then he also overhauled the engine of a 1948 Plymouth in our garage in our house. I mean, as I watched him do that, how he had a knack that I frankly I lack, which is the manual, the sort of the technical piece. I'm more mm. of a driver and and as I call myself a track anthropologist. <laughs> So anyway, he took me to see several races, and the one that I recall the most, because sometimes I was just too little, but the one that I recall the most is the 1960 Havana Grand Prix. I watched the cars were phenomenal at that time, Jaguars, Porsches, Aston Martins, Ferraris, Maseratis, but I also saw in person people like Jack Brabham and Maston Gregory and Dan Gurney and Carroll Shelby, and I saw Pedro and Ricardo Rodriguez, both brothers, racing Porsches. That was just phenomenal, and I can still smell that gear oil and the and the, the brakes and everything, and it's just a, a fantastic uh, a thrill for a kid my age to see that. And I wandered around on my own. It was kind of funny thinking back about the safety precautions. Oh, lack yeah. there, were, there, there weren't I mean, any it, back then. It, I mean, they had hay bales yeah. every 20 feet. It was crazy. So I, I love that. And I've been hooked ever since. I can say that I was probably around 10, 11 years old at the time, and I was hooked.
0: No kidding. Oh, well, like I said in my intro, I'm jealous that uh, you got to watch that in person, that historic drive. And of course, the Maserati Birdcage, what a absolutely stunning car. I'm sitting here looking at my collection of model cars, and I have that model, the CMC model of that car. I just love it. What right. a beautiful car. I've been able to sit in one, never been able to drive one, but they're little jewels, just little jewels. So, uh, right. yeah, wonderful. So, Lise, what I want to do now is talk about a huge challenge or a big failure that you faced in your life. Obviously, coming to a country, that was a big challenge, of course, and maybe that's what you want to take us to a place in time where you were faced with a big challenge. What did it teach you so you could move
1: forward? Right. So we mentioned how I came to the United States and I had to learn English. I learned English in seventh grade. But by the time I was in ninth grade, I was the best sentence diagrammer on, in my freshman class. Good for you. And to this day, I still, in my mind, diagram sentences. It helps me to formulate because I, I do love to write. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of things, by the way, that I discovered when I came to the United States. One was I had never heard of peanut butter And um, really the other. Right. And the other one was cheerleaders. So peanut butter and cheerleaders were (laughs) new to me. Now, that's a very interesting combination. (laughs) Right. Well, the funny thing is that to this day, I still don't like peanut butter, but I married a cheerleader. (laughs) Well, you picked the right one. (laughs) Right. So that's that's how that turned out. But fast forward (laughs) a lot of years and back in early 2000s, about 12 years ago, a friend of mine and I started a business called Extreme Performance, and he was a really talented – he is a really talented technician, automotive technician, and also a marine engine technician. Wow. So I was the financier, and he was the technical guy, and he was kind of the operations guy, and we formed this business called Extreme Performance, and it was a high-end automotive and marine repair shop here in Rochester. My first customer was a Ferrari Testarossa and with a broken transmission, and he fixed it. I mean, he he knew wow. Lamborghini, Ferrari, he knew it all. And he also knew how to supercharge a 500 cubic inch mercury uh, inboard, <laughs> supercharged now. Yeah. And we used to have those two cigarette boats in our shop. It was incredible. But wow. the bad news is that the business lasted about three years and then I had to walk away because it was costing me too much money. And then he took it over and then he couldn't keep it going either. So what I learned was I got my MBA, so to speak, at Extreme Performance at a cost of a solid six figures. And uh, what I learned was that a business like that is very capital intensive. I didn't realize how capital intensive it was to upgrade tools and equipment and fees and insurance and liability and whatnot and stuff that I hadn't even thought about. I mean, it was in the back of my mind, but I didn't realize they would come forward. And so my point is that I got my MBA and I'm glad I did it. I don't regret that I did it. Money, you can recover money, but you can't make up the experience if you didn't have it. And so I'm glad I did it. So fast forward, and today I'm a management consultant because it is not capital intensive. <laughs> yes. I am the product and service, and all I need is a phone and a computer, and I'm off and running. So, I learned that if I'm going to be in business, it's not it's not going to be a business that's so capital intensive. But while we had it, it was just a rock and roll. I loved doing it. I wish I had been able to keep it alive so that I could be sort of dabbling in it now.
0: No doubt. Well. It is a very uh labor and capital, mostly capital uh costly. And a lot of people that have been on the show that are, oh, designers, developers of cars, fabricators, restoration shops. I hear this story over and over again. They're very good at a trade, but they have to learn the business side the hard way. And some of them don't make it. Some of them barely make it. And others figure out a way by inviting somebody in that knows what they're doing. So that's my takeaway for that. And I love the positive attitude that you have about, hey, that was my MBA. I I think you took a thing that was a tough pill to swallow and turned it into the lemonade, as they say, um, to realize this was a great lesson for me to learn and realize uh, where my discrepancies might be and what I need to do to get ahead. So wonderful story. Let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. It's a time when those headlights come on and kind of illuminated your way to a new
1: path, a new direction.
0: What was yours?
1: Right. Thank you. It happened about 12 years after I finished college. I had a BA in psychology and I had been kind of bouncing around, not couldn't find my firm footing. And then I was hired by a consulting company in Philadelphia. They did compensation consulting. And what they liked about me was that I could actually do regression analysis on a mainframe computer back in those days. Wow. So I was able to marry. I ended up working in human resources because I was able to marry the two things that I love, one, which is psychology, working with people, understanding how they think, why they think the way they do and how, how to help the organization by using their uh, human capital. And at the same time, I'm a businessman. I love business. I like but business models. I, I try to understand how things make or don't make money. And I like numbers, I like data, I like trends, I like regression analysis, <laughs> I, I like to predict outcomes, and, mm-hmm. and believe it or not, in HR, that's kind of rare, so whenever yeah. I get into an HR situation, I immediately come up with data patterns and trends and that most people in HR do not bother with, but right. it, it helped me to get to executive ranks because no one else had that, and so it was a, a very differentiating factor in my upbringing, which is I love data,
0: This is a really cool story of how you can take a passion for something and combine it with another skill set and create a whole new movement for you in some kind of a career path. I think it's fantastic. Really, really cool story. Thank you. Appreciate you sharing that with us. Well, let's go back to cars for a second here. I would love to hear what your very first really special car was and maybe share a memory you have about that vehicle.
1: Excellent. Well, I have a couple. The first one was in high school. I had a 56 Chevy Bel Air two door sedan. Now that was a $100 car with huge gaping holes. Some say it was, <laughs> I mean, you could put a basketball through the side door. It was just so badly rusted. Oh, wow. but my father said, well, you can try this. And I did all the custom body work on that car. And then I had it painted. I remember the color was called Tahoe turquoise. It was a 1967 Chevrolet uh-huh. color. That car, when I was done with it, in terms of the body work, was, as Henry Manny would say, a crumpet collector. The girls all wanted to be in my car, you know? So, so that <laughs> was my There comes first the one.
0: cheerleaders. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You yeah. got
1: it. One interesting detail about my 56 Chevy is that I bought it when I was in high school, and I immediately went out and bought, and J.C. Whitney, a seatbelt. Just one seatbelt. <laughs> one seatbelt. <laughs> and I bolted it to the floor behind me and it had a, a click uh a clicking mechanism like an airplane. Yeah. That's the kind of buckle that I had. And I was the only person in my high school who had a car with a seatbelt. Wow. And it was so rare that they actually interviewed me for the school newspaper and they asked me all these questions and they took a picture of the seatbelt in my car. I, I mean, was the first one.
0: That is so funny because I can't imagine anyone getting in a car without putting a seatbelt on. I mean, it just – I went even back into my – driveway to wash my car without clicking my seatbelt yeah it was it wasn't really that long ago i mean especially for two youngsters like you and i uh to go back to the 60s but yeah i remember my parents had an old volkswagen bug that didn't have seatbelts, and uh i remember as a result of a babysitter driving that one day my sister got launched from the back seat into the front of the car when she uh when she hit somebody and yeah smashed some of her teeth but uh yeah, it's pretty crazy, but uh, that's pretty cool. Well, you're a very wise guy, too, so uh, okay.
1: <laughs> I, I like that story. That was my first one. Then after fast forward several years, when I came out of grad school, I desperately wanted a sports car. That was my first love. It wasn't so much drag racing as, as it was a sports car, so I bought a used Fiat 124 Spider. It was burgundy with a tan interior, and it was a beautiful car. Now, in those days, people were buying British metal. They were buying MGs and Triumphs and Bug-Eyed Sprites and maybe somebody had an Austin Healey. And Jaguars, of course, were totally out of reach. So I went Italian. I went and bought this Fiat 124 Spider, and I just loved that car. The interior, people called it a little baby Ferrari, whatever. And then I liked it so much that a couple of years later, I bought a new one. It was the last one with the chrome bumpers. Oh, yeah. And I immediately took it to the autocross track and I put a helmet on and I'm out there. So that was 40 years ago, 1975. I was already tooling around the uh, autocrossing in, right. in my new Spiders. Those those are my first real sports cars.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, is there a car you've owned to let go that you really wish you had back in your garage?
1: Oh, totally. Yeah, it was seven years ago, in 2010, I sold my red nineteen ninety one Porsche nine eleven, which they call a nine sixty-four. It was a sweet ride. It was beautiful red color, a tan interior. I had made it into a track car. I had all the safety gear inside, this racing seats and roll bar, and of course I had it lowered and the tires and custom muffler. The thing was this side, just this side of legal. I mean it was I could still drive it on the street, but it was it was loud and it was fast. And I love that car. But then I got bored. I got the seven-year itch. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, shoot me. Yeah. Go ahead. And I sold it to some guy in Tampa. Now, if I called him up and said, you know, I want that car back, he would laugh me at me. And then he would charge me at least double what yeah. he paid for it. Yeah. Get that.
0: You sent me some pictures of that car. And it kind of tugged on my heartstrings because I had a, a 91 964 a Carrera. Ferrari 2 I love that car and it had been modified a little bit it was lowered had a special exhaust on it oh, it was it was my daily driver i loved it
1: Are you sure are you sure you didn't buy it from me
0: <laughs> No i didn't i bought it from a a kid had whose dad owned a Ferrari dealership in uh I think it was Manhattan beach or Laguna right. beach or somewhere up there. Uh, yeah, I was living in San Diego one morning. I got up and looked at the paper and saw this car for sale. And I went up and it, it was the most, I've owned, I think about 11 911s over my lifetime. It was the most heavily modified, that little white sticker wow. that's under the front hood with all those options. I'd never seen so many numbers on one of those. Wow. This guy ordered the car with, it had leather covered vents. I mean, it was just incredible, <laughs> wonderful car love that car, but, uh, yeah, I let it go, and I wish I never had it. It had cup wheels on it. had the RS America mirrors on it. I love that thing. And the exhaust on it, it just sounded right. so good. Right. So, yeah. And they have gotten expensive, too, the 964s. Right. They've kind of come up like all the rest of the old Porsches.
1: Instead of going back into an air-cooled I bought just in December, I towed home from, from Michigan a Two thousand three nine nine six race car that's been that's been totally developed. I'll send you pictures later. Yes, it is uh, totally over the top. It's it's the guy put over six figures into it, and and I I bought it for a song. So I haven't tried it yet. It's been I brought it in winter, oh I haven't gotta wait
0: wait till things thaw
1: out. (laughs) I have to wait till April. Yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, sounds cool. Well, I'll look forward to getting some pictures from you. Well, what has you excited and fired up this year? What are you working on that has you? just ready to go.
1: I've had three projects in mind and one is diminishing and the other two are rising. The, the first one that's diminishing is my management consulting. I've been managing, I've been consulting now for over 10 years. That's winding down by preference because I want to give more time to my other two projects. Uh, the other two projects, one is racing. I just bought this new car or new to me that I want to put on the track and I got to get it ready for the track. And as part of that there is, of course, the instruction that I do as well. And also, I'm phasing into motorsports journalism. The reason uh, I'm talking to you is because we have a mutual friend, Peter Barraza, who yes. runs motorsports, Men, yeah, motorsports uh, marketing resources. And I've published for him. I've done some articles for him over the years. Another uh, magazine that I'm writing for is called Victory Lane Magazine. Oh, yeah. It's a magazine based in Palo Alto. Anyway, so what I'm saying is that I am progressing towards more driving instruction, and also motorsports journalism. So that's my second project. And my third project is a not-for-profit called Hope and a Ladder. It's based on the premise that, like as I said before, think like an immigrant, that these immigrants who have come to the United States and they have been successful, they have been able to achieve the American dream. I want to do what you're doing. I want to interview them, create a podcast based on their experiences, how they did it. That's why my not-for-profit is called Hope. Period and a ladder period, basically inspiration and a process. Here's what they did that should inspire you, and here's how they did it. These are the processes, the things that they did to, to accomplish that. So, Hope and the Ladder will be launched very soon. I have a, a website under construction. I need to learn all all your tricks for podcasting. (laughs) There you go. Uh, That's the the part that scares me. I can meet people and and I can write, but I just don't know technology. But anyway, I will float this thing. I have a small board of directors are helping me. And by spring, I should be announcing it and having it out there. And that's my third project. So those are the things that keep me, other than family and Daily chart, but the, my family is very important, of course. And those are the three projects: the management consulting, the racing and motorsport journalism, and hope and the ladder. That's a lot, right there.
0: You know, this is again. You continue to inspire me here, and uh, I'll let our listeners know if I can give away Luis's age. He's seventy, right? 16. Well, yeah, almost. 69.7. Okay, yes. I'm sorry. I pushed you over the edge. It's okay. Six months from seven. Well, you're a very right. young guy, I'll tell you, at heart Thank and you. in spirit and in voice. And, and I'm so inspired by what you're telling us here because I love, I mean, I love the idea of the podcast you're going to do. This is so needed right now, I think, right. in the country. And I think totally. you're hitting a really good time. I also want to mention um, Victory Lane Magazine. Dan Davis, the publisher, has been a guest here on Cars Yeah. Peter Barasa, MMR, he's been a guest here on Cars Yeah. Two great guys that I want to do a shout-out to. But I love this whole concept of what you're doing. I think this is great. And uh, if you need any help with learning some of this stuff, you just call me because I was in your shoes, buddy. I I mean, I was so far out of my comfort zone when I started this podcast. I didn't know anything. I figured out how to build a website. I figured out how to record. I'm, I'm happy to help you because I'm so excited with what you're doing. Right. So uh we'll connect uh, here, and I'll get you over that hump of being concerned about technical stuff. i tell you, my IS guy, he sits right behind me here. When I turn around, there's a mirror. I look at myself, and I say, is IS in today? And he looks back with a blank stare going, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and- you just have to do right. it. It's uh, you know, it's right. like these young kids with technology and smartphones and computers. They just start doing I stuff, know. and you figure it I out. Know. But uh, I'm happy yep. to That's happy to I'm help you. Do. Very excited for you. Very excited for you at this ripe young age in your life. You're reinventing yourself yet again. This is fantastic. Well, here's a very introspective question for you. If you were a car,
1: what kind of car would Luis be, and why? Right. Thank you. I would be a Porsche 911. Why? <laughs> well. You know, over the years, I've been blessed that I've enjoyed many years of experience as a track instructor and half a dozen racetracks, including, by the way, Monticello Motor Club. Ooh, yes. I was instructor there for six years. Nice. And uh, I've had the chance to flog everything on a racetrack from Miatas to a $3 million custom-built McLaren P1. And virtually mm-hmm. every sports car in between those two, my pick as a Porsche 911 because Frankly, it does everything that they claim it can do Mm -hmm. and much more. I mean, it's truth in advertising. I think that a lot of talent and experience is necessary to drive a 911 or a Cayman at the edge of physics. I mean, as much as I've driven them, I have never taken them to the edge where I think I'm in danger. That's how much they still have left. Mm -hmm. I think the car over delivers. I wrote a piece about 10 years ago comparing at that time it was a brand new 2004 Ferrari 360 Modena. And a Ferrari 360 Modena Challenge Stradale ah. with a Porsche 911 Turbo all the same day. All They were all brand new. Same owner, by the way. And it was fantastic how the Turbo just kept it all together. I mean, in the Ferrari, I was scared because I knew that I could overstep the limit and then it would be. And, and in, the, in the Porsche, I was driving just as fast, but I felt, you know, I'm at home. You can take a 911 to the track and flog it for three days, a three-day weekend, flog it. And then drive it home, turn on the air conditioner and your stereo or open the sunroof, and and your girlfriend will be smiling all the way home. (laughs) It is a rare car that you can do both. Sometimes you can do one or the other, but both, that's pretty rare. Porsche,
0: there is no substitute. There's a reason why that line has stuck with their marketing department for so many years. And my listeners know I'm a big fan of Porsche 911, so I'm I'm very biased. But uh, I like that. I like that very much. Well, Luis, up next is the last lap before we put the pedal to the metal. Let's say thank you to today's Cars Yow yeah sponsors. Hey, Cars yeah listeners. This is Mark Green. I've been using Covercraft covers to protect my cars and motorcycles since I was in high school, way back in 1975. But Covercraft has much more to offer than just vehicle covers. This time of year is very hard on your vehicle's interiors. Rain, snow, dirt, and mud gets into the carpet and the seats, grinding away and destroying the original materials. It's important to preserve and protect your special ride with Covercraft floor mats and seat covers. That's what I do. They offer a wide variety of styles, colors, and materials, all designed to fit like a glove. They're easy to install and provide for anchor points and airbags for safety and a perfect fit. Protecting your vehicle adds value when you go to sell it, too. Simply go to Covercraft.com and order the style and color you like best, and boom, you're set. You'll thank me, and your vehicle will thank you as well. That's Covercraft.com, and tell them Mark at Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Okay, we are back and we're entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle
1: answers. So you ready? Go ahead. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Well, it had to do with driving and driving is sheer poetry. That was one of my instructors, grumpy Don Galbraith, 25 (laughs) years ago when I was learning to handle the S's at Watkins Glen, especially in the rain. It requires a light touch and being fully sensitive as opposed to manhandling the car. So I still have that quote in my logbook. Nice. Driving is sheer poetry.
0: I like that very much. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your many successes over the years?
1: Yes, thank you. Write your goals down. You can have your goals, but you need to write them down. And importantly, you must share them with your family and trusted friends. This is what you're trying to do. Tell them, show them, explain it to them. Let them ask you questions. Let them hold you accountable. And then do that not just once, but do it two or three times a year over the years. I can show you on my iPhone my goals are written down in an email to myself. And every once in a while, I take it out and I check it and I compare it and I explain it to my family and they challenge me on it.
0: Invaluable, invaluable advice there. Yes, very important. Now, there's a lot of great resources these days. We've talked about many of them, uh, like the magazines and MMR and others. Is there one that you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Well, I was just going to mention those two, uh, Motorsports Marketing Resources uh, under Peter Barassa's uh, leadership and the other one, Victory Lane Magazine with Dan Davis. And you already talked about those two, and I'm just happy to be associated with them. In terms of some shopping ideas, I found my car that I just bought in the PCA.org classifieds. I was surprised that it was in there. Most people resort to RentLess, I, I found the PCA.org classifieds to be easier to read and manage and the other one is I buy for, for years, and I'm going back almost 20 years, maybe 20 years. I buy all my tires and brake products from Tire Rack. They have been not just – and I'm not shopping price or anything. I'm just shopping value and advice. And I, I can tell you stories that I call Tire Rack, and I, and I and I present the situation to them, and the guy actually can help me through it. Yep. That's pretty rare.
0: Yeah. I bought many tires from Tire Rack over the years for sure. Right. <laughs> Now, if you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that person be?
1: Well, actually, I have two. One is in history, and that's Juan Manuel Fangio. When I was growing up, he was my idol in Mm -hmm. Cuba and the United States. And this fellow, he began – he's an Argentinian. He began racing when he was in his 40s. By the way, another one who began racing in his 40s was Paul Newman, and yes. he raced until 83. Yeah. And I've seen Paul Newman in, at different tracks over the years before he died uh, some years ago. But Juan Manuel Fangio was a, a guy just from from nowhere. He came out of nowhere and became a five-time world champion, which was inconceivable back in his day, especially how dangerous it was to race yeah. in his day. Yeah. The second one is Roger Penske. I just saw Roger Penske in Daytona a few years ago. Excuse me, a few weeks ago, I was at Daytona. There he was, and I chatted up with him, and he stops and talks. Roger Penske used to be this fellow back in the the late 50s who was driving a Corvette, and today he is a movement. He is a force in in international racing. He's got a $26 billion enterprise. He has like 50,000 employees and 200,000 vehicles. And I saw him at Daytona three weeks ago, and I chatted with him like he was my next-door neighbor. <laughs> yeah. I, he's one of the people that I just – because I'm a businessman, and he is a businessman more so than a racer, but he's in the racing business, but it is a business. And I just absolutely can't say enough about Roger Penske and what he has done with over over the, over the decades. Yeah,
0: I would love to get him on this show. He's a very difficult guy to nail down. He's so busy, and he's very humble. Doesn't really like to do interviews and things like that. But the empire he has built is formidable. And I don't think a lot of people realize how in-depth and huge that it is. But the other two folks you mentioned, wouldn't it be fun to sit down at a table on this little Italian restaurant or over a glass of wine and talk with uh, Mr. Fangio, which would be cool. I saw him at Pacific or uh, Laguna Seca years ago when he was the featured guy there. Uh, He signed a hat for me that I've still got. And I uh, oh, envy you. <laughs> and, and Paul Newman. I mean, get those two guys together. That would be a very fun talk, I think, for sure. Right. Very nice. Well, how about a book? Is there a book you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Well, you know, I have a, a soft spot for classic racers from the 50s and 60s. So I have a big picture book by Tom Burnside, which is kind of a coffee table book. Mm-hmm. It's called American Racing by Tom Burnside b-u-r-n-s-i-d-e and it's it's basically just wall-to-wall black and white photographs of that era of racing in the 50s and 60s you know when i was a kid and so over the years i keep looking at that book and just enthralled by by what it has and the content and and then frankly how it depicts how dangerous racing was in that era
0: yeah absolutely i have that book as well it's a wonderful book to have in your library if you love to have a complete library and i remind our listeners you can find a great place in the Carzia yeah website called Guest Recommended Books. I've made it real easy for you to find all these great books, including this one that Luis has recommended on the Carzia yeah website. And by the way, you can check out all the other great recommendations that Luis has given us today on his show notes page at Carzia. Yeah. Just go there and type in Luis, L-U-I-S, Martinez into the search bar and his page will pop right up. All right. We are up to the fun part, the checkered flag, as if we're not having fun already. I'm going to buy you any cool car on the planet today. doesn't matter what it costs, but it's the only collector car you're going to get to keep. And you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. you got to keep it, and I want you to drive it. So what's it going to be?
1: Sure, that's easy. It's a 1965 Chevrolet Impala two-door hardtop. Now, why that car? (laughs) Yeah. You completely befuddled me here. (laughs) Right. It's not a racing car. It's not a sports car, but it has huge memories. My father, who was a car lover, when I was in high school, bought a white 1965 Impala two-door hardtop. Now, you got to put yourself in the context of that era. That was a beautiful car. The lines on that car, the the two-door hardtop, had just a flowing line, especially from the rear quarter. And the other thing that I remember distinctly is it was the first year that the Chevrolet, that any car had curved side windows. If mm-hmm. you think about the 64 Impala, it had straight windows. The mm-hmm. glass was straight. But in the 65, the glass was curved on the side windows. And that mm-hmm. was the first year for that. And yeah. Chevrolet had that unique feature in those days. And it's also the, the car that I used to go – When my 56 Chevy wasn't working, I used to go on dates with. My father would let me drive it. And it was just a to show up in that car back when I was in high school at any event was just absolutely over the top.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you totally tripped me up. I thought for sure it'd be some kind of iconic Porsche. But, uh, you know, this is kind of somewhat appropriate because when I think of your very, very early roots in Cuba, you think about all the old 50s. Well, this in case was a sixty five so a little bit later, but right. you think of all those old Chevys driving around in Cuba all the time, kind of paints a pretty picture, but the sixty five yeah, that was a very cool car, and I don't think too many people know about those curved windows too when you see one in real life and you sit back and look at it, you go, "Wait a minute, something's different here, so all right, well, that shouldn't be too hard for me. I will get to work on that, Luis. You have taken us on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed getting to know you. I'm so happy that Peter Barossa connected us together, and I want to thank you for sharing. Your automotive journey with me and the CarShout listeners, could you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you head off into the sunset in that 65 Chev Impala hardtop?
1: Well, thank you, uh, Mark, for having me on your show. I really appreciate the opportunity to share with uh, folks who share the same same, uh, passion that I do for cars, especially sports cars. My advice, again, is think like an immigrant now. I've described it earlier. I'm also a faith-based person, so a lot of my advice is grounded in spiritual principles. But in a secular sense, think like an immigrant, meaning don't be a victim. Find a way around. Find a way over, through, under it, whatever it takes. But there is a way, and you can find it, and it's to each of us to achieve the American dream.
0: Absolutely fantastic. And again, what's the best way for our listeners to follow along with you and learn more about what you're
1: doing and find this uh, upcoming podcast? I have a Twitter handle called at quick37racing, quick37racing, all one word, which is where I share most most of my content concerning my racing, motorsports journalism. My business website is called humancapitalsp.com, com, .com. and that's my business website, but I'm going to be spending more time on quick37racing.
0: There you go. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great sites that Luis has shared with us today on his Cars show notes page. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in Luis, L-U-I-S in the search bar, and his page will pop up with all these links. And we look forward to this uh, very inspiring podcast coming up as well. I want to thank you for being so generous today with your time and for sharing your many wonderful experiences. What a great inspiration you are. Until you and I talk again, I will see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member Finra Sipic. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to Carsia.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up,